Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Off and running in the booth. Back at it on a Monday short week with a Friday night dome game and the Orange are rolling three straight conference wins. It's the first time we've come on on the booth on a three-game conference winning streak since way back when we were doing that show in 2001. No, we didn't even do it back then. Eight-game winning streak that Syracuse had that year to get to eight and two and um, make a bowl game. And now, obviously, they're headed to a bowl game this year. I was really taken aback. In fact, I said it as much on the air. Coach Babers was told right before we did his post-game interview on Saturday after the game, hey, this clinches a winning season. I was like, really? No kidding. Among all the milestones, I wasn't thinking that at all. When you start 4-0, that right there, I mean, I understand a couple of years it hasn't. Um, and then you win it, you know, even another game from there. The winning season has been Maybe not mathematically, but they were getting a winning season all along, you'd like to think. But I guess this may be a sign of the times in recent years. The Orange have been decimated by injuries in November. They haven't won any November games, 1-15 in 15 over the last four Novembers, and uh, that is starting to change. Babers addressed it uh, this morning, and we'll share some with you over the course of the week about how they feel like they actually have made some strides in terms of the way they prepare players the way they condition the roster, the way they manage the roster, in making them a deeper unit this time of year, avoiding some of those debilitating injuries that have sidelined them, and making sustaining progress. The team is up to 13 in the polls, as Seth just told you, and most of you I'm sure picked up when the polls were released yesterday. To me, the vaulting to 13 is unforeseen, number one. You beat Wake Forest, but jumping that far is really a product of what happened to some of the other teams in the middle of the poll, and Syracuse is happy to step right into that void. When you're at 13, that tells me a couple things. One, you're more than one game away from falling out of the rankings, which I think is really important. I don't think they'll lose this Friday to Louisville. Louisville hasn't won a conference game yet, but sometimes football happens. Sometimes sports happen and you lay an egg or what have you. If you do that this week, I think you're so high into the poll that you're not going to drop all the way out. If you win the game, now you're 8-2, ranked at worst 13th, and you're playing two ranked teams the rest of the way, pending what Boston College does, but certainly Notre Dame will be ranked. A win against Louisville on Friday guarantees that Syracuse is ranked into bowl selection process. They'll be ranked through the regular season with a win on Friday. And they'll be heavily favored on Friday in the game against a Louisville team that gave up 77 points on Saturday against Clemson. So those are the types of things that we're talking about when it comes to achievement for this team right now. The improvement statistically over last year is stark. The Orange win games in all three phases. They might win ugly or win boring. That's what good teams do. That Wake Forest game, they were down 10 to nothing, not really looking like themselves couple of adjustments 
Next thing you know, they get it rolling a little bit, score a couple of touchdowns. They pounded it. First of all, it was, that game was won by pass rush and by running the football. Six first-half sacks and then five rushing touchdowns. Eric Dungy scored a rushing touchdown for the sixth consecutive game, and his was the longest of the touchdowns. Most of the rest were uh, running backs at short range. In fact, all the rest of the touchdowns. Mo Neal went in for eight yards. Jarvion Howard had two one-yard touchdown runs. Chris Elmore, five. And so it was that pounding of the rock and running for 264 yards that won the game for the Orange. Babers saying afterward something to the effect of, look, that was the surest way to win. It might not have been us in terms of typically having more passing yards than rushing yards, but that's how we had to win today. And uh, the Orange got that job done. Coming up later in the show, we'll visit with Wes Durham of the uh, ACC Network, had the television call of the Wake Forest game on Saturday. Get his thoughts on what he saw, how Syracuse stacks up in the conference landscape as we enter the last uh, quarter of the season here. The Orange at 7-2 and two with three games remaining. Let's spin you through a couple of the uh, NFL happenings and uh, items of the day before we uh, move along and back to uh, Syracuse football and the reports from Coach Babers and more of that good stuff. You can join us by phone, by the way, at any time at 315-437-7644. Biggest game of the weekend NFL-wise. There really were two big games yesterday. The one at night, quarterback versus quarterback. Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers uh, certainly was sexy, but uh, earlier in the day, two of the best teams, two Super Bowl contenders, got together in New Orleans. Rams going in unbeaten, and when the teams left the Superdome, they had the same 7-1 and record. Breeze under center, eye formation. Pitch to Kamara, turning the right side, trying to get the first down, and he's got it at the 40-yard line. The Rams did all they could to try to chase him down, knock him shy, and that's going to be it. Rams out of timeouts, and the New Orleans Saints are going to hand the uh, L.A. Rams their first loss of the season. So both teams now 7-1. and one. The Saints led that game most of the way. The Rams came back to catch up, tied the game in New Orleans, and then the uh, Saints were strong late to uh, pull away for the win. So both of those teams 7-1 and one and, and uh, among the very much cream of the crop in the NFL. Do the Dolphins fans still care about that? Dolphins players care about popping like even, the champagne, if that's what you're asking about. Yeah, yeah. like the players still care? Or the Current the, players? The, well, the fans. Does anybody oh. care that the 72 Dolphins were still Yeah, I think, I think if like, you're a Dolphins fan, you would. I'm not a Dolphins fan. We know a couple, I guess. I think they probably care for that source of, a little bit of source of pride. The fact that the Patriots in a more modern era went undefeated all the way to the Super Bowl, to me, takes a little shine off it, but the Patriots didn't win the Super Bowl. They went... 17-0, and or maybe it was even better than that, but they didn't win the final game. And yeah, I think it's kind of cool. It's a little petty. The Larry Zonka, Mercury Morris is the world. They pop champagne. That's a, a neat bonding thing for them, that, that group of players. But it's also a very different era. Uh, the way the league is built toward parity now and, and that type of thing, I think it's harder to go undefeated now than it was, it was in 1972. Was wow. It was a long time ago. And there's no reason to pop any champagne over that. Yeah. <laughs> We've long ago gotten over celebrating that. That's a huge defeat for the world. That's right. The matchup of 12s last night, Brady and Rodgers. And no surprise in Foxborough, the 
Pats came out on top as uh, once again Brady and Belichick found a way. Second and 10, tossed to the left side, that one caught, breaking free is Gordon at the 30, down the sideline to the 20, at the 10, to the 5, and in for the touchdown! Julian Edelman left in the air trying to pull the pass in. It soared over his head into the waiting arms of Josh Gordon, who went 55 yards untouched for six, and it's 30-17. to 17. Kevin Kugler, as heard here on ESPN Radio 97.7 last night, the Westwood One call should have pointed out it was uh, Bill Rosinski on the first one, also on ESPN Radio. And the Patriots playing with a wounded team, and Cordero Patterson, Cordero Patterson moved into a running back role and all kinds of things that they shift around, and they still find a way. Aaron Rodgers doesn't have uh, quite as many weapons around him, but that was fun to watch, the two of them uh, matching wits, and that game was tight most of the way. Josh Gordon gives the Patriots a little extra punch there. They had the throwback uh, play on as well, and this one, the 55-yard run from Gordon. You can hear Tom Brady's uh, post-game press comments talking about uh, being uncomfortable out in front of uh, Gordon blocking, and and uh, the Patriots continue to cruise. You can never count them out. As for the Bills, probably should have uh, played this one first to just to uh, get it out of the way, but here's your gratuitous Bills sound as the misery continues in Buffalo. Third and three. Bills have it at their own 18. Peterman in the shotgun. Snap. Here comes pressure. Peterman tries to get rid of it quickly. The pass is tipped away. It is picked off. It is intercepted by the Bears. It is Leonard Floyd running into the end zone. Touchdown, Chicago. So, rough go of it uh, for the Bills yet again. And uh, their season over, and they just got to find a way to make something of it as they play out the string. When we continue here, we'll be joined by Wes Durham of uh, Fox Sports, ACC Network. He's also the radio voice of the Atlanta Falcons. We'll touch base with him on what he saw Saturday in Winston-Salem with the Orange knocking off Wake Forest on the road. And then uh, do we care with Tommy as we continue? Your phone calls are welcome at 315-437-7644. This is In the Booth on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth on ESPN Radio here in Central New York, brought to you by Bugs Be Gone and CH Insurance. Wes Durham set to uh, join us. Wes, you don't want to miss that Drivers Village High School football game of the week this week. The Which big, one is it? Well, I don't know. I have no idea. But there was the big showdown. Uh, Casanova got upset. They've won the section about 600 times in a row. And uh, Skinny Atlas <laughs> got them in the, the battle of uh, posh, quaint, lakeside towns. Lakers versus Lakers. <laughs> I would like Skinny Atlas. <laughs> emerges triumphant. Coach Joe Sindoni might be listening, driving around town. Hello, Joe. Good job. This is uh, probably me not pulling the the promo. Okay. Well, then there's that. Welcome to our show. Put the wrong end date on it. Oops. There's a stunner. (laughs) Imagine that. Wes, how are you? I'm great, Matt. Good to see you on Saturday. Nice win for the Orange, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I watched your broadcast uh, yesterday and, um, you know, help get a little different uh, perspective and through your point of view, but maybe you can share what your takeaways were from the game, which was, you know, a sluggish start uh, and, uh, you know, down 10 to nothing and uh, finding a bit of a groove to, to come back to win. Well, I thought, number one, I, I thought the, the first thing I saw was the stick that 
that Coach Babers talked about, you know, kind of like the building of the program a little bit. I mean, that's the first time I'd seen the Orange live. I'd seen them on tape a couple times, and I was really impressed, number one, with the depth all over the field. I think the other thing that caught your eye is, you know, maybe even when your best player doesn't have his best game or one of his best games in, in Custis at wide receiver, he still comes back to make clutch catches, you know. I mean, he's a guy that made big plays for you. And then defensively, I thought they were a lot better. Uh, a lot better than they were a year before and, and certainly markedly better than they've been previous couple of years. So I'd be very encouraged if I were a Syracuse fan. Well, you were right there with the Nugget six sacks in the first half. That's basically what good teams have in a game or you know, it could be an historic number and they were trending toward that uh, as the mm-hmm. second half went on. And you see NFL games every Sunday, the uh, Falcons winning on your watch yesterday in Washington. Although from your vantage point there in Washington, maybe you didn't see much of it. But anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is Alton Robinson a pro? I think he is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think he's a pro because I, I think he's got great speed. He's He's got tremendous leverage on the edge. He engages all sizes. Um, you know, from what I saw on, on Saturday, absolutely. I think he's a guy that can definitely have an impact at the next level. Um I'll tell you what, the guy inside absolutely wrecks houses too now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Coleman, there, there may be a spot for Coleman at the next level, uh, the way he grows. Um, I, I'd be very encouraged there. And I, I tell you, the other guy is Guthrie. And I know a couple of years ago, he might have been a little bit of a misfit in terms of what they were trying to do. But but I was really impressed with Guthrie and his production on Saturday for sure. It's funny you mentioned the guy inside. That's Chris Slayton. I was yeah. uh, taking the box score yesterday morning as I often do on Sunday or maybe when we get back on Saturday and I I pop in the notable performances of a of a game into my notes and stuff and I'm staring at that page where it shows the defensive stats mm. and his name doesn't even show up it's not even there at all yeah. <laughs> right? yeah but he's he's such a factor because he's taking he's like it's a lot of those big time guys like Aaron Donald and these other guys in the NFL he's taking one and a half or two on every snap yeah i mean you know he's no offense to Robinson and to uh, Coleman, he's the number one guy at the scouting report. I mean, when you're talking about their front, you've got to start inside with Slate. I mean, he just he does so many things. And, and to be honest with you, he's he's like you know Aaron Donald. He's like a um, Grady Jarrett here in Atlanta. He's like uh, you know Sheldon Rankins in New Orleans, or some of these smaller stature, pretty quick and athletic guys that are going to play. You know, the one or the two or maybe even the three technique at the next level who I, who I think can be really, really good. And I think, you know, Jay Bromley, you know, a few years ago, Matt might've been a precursor to that type guy. You know, he's been on some rosters as well, but you know, production counts and Slayton's got a ton of it. I think Slayton to me seems a lot bigger than I recall Jay Bromley being, but Bromley, you know, was a a very productive player, uh, maybe more of an end than a a tackle, but uh, another guy who, as you said, uh, hung around in the NFL for quite a while, mostly with the Giants. Wes Durham's our guest uh, from the ACC Network, had the game with James Bates on uh, Saturday. First time this year I'd flipped on uh, Batesy and gotten all of those movie and, and pop culture references. It's a, a lot to keep up with there. You need a need a scorecard. Um, I wanted to ask you, Wes, and, and you're so good at this kind of stuff, get a feel for what you think big picture-wise. To me, it's a big priority here now. You're going to a bowl – and it's the mm. first time, not only first time in a while to make a bowl, but it's the first time that you didn't just sneak on as the train was leaving. I mean, they wrapped right. up a bowl um, just past the midway point of the season. And so now you're playing 
for better and better bowls, better placement, better payouts, et cetera. How, in your estimation, have you seen programs over time position themselves to get the benefit of the doubt, maybe to be selected you know, at or above their standing? Because there's been years where Syracuse maybe has been passed over on the perception that it, it's not a huge fan base, that it doesn't travel well, et cetera. Well, that, that's certainly the, the basic ingredients when it comes to a bowl. But I will say that you know, probably since 13 was the last time that Syracuse went to the bowl game, right, when you went to Houston to play Minnesota, right? That's correct. Yeah, I, I think that what you're looking at here is is that I think the conference has started to to take a little more of a, a role in these bowl positions uh, than maybe they did even you know five or six years ago. I think the other thing that comes into play is you know what kind of team is it nationally, and what's the matchup going to be. Um, you know, and certainly Syracuse, as you just said, is going through the front door. They're not sneaking in on the back porch here to postseason play. Um, I would tell you that I think the uh, Syracuse. Uh, NC State, behind Clemson, obviously. Syracuse and NC State and Virginia are going to be really attractive teams. BC could also factor into that. And I think your ball game the Saturday after Thanksgiving will have a lot to do with the, you know, maybe that positioning in its final entity. Um, but Syracuse is going to be attractive. You, you showed at the, you know, in a lot of different venues, you've got a national fan base, showed it at the Final Four. You've shown it uh, ACC tournaments beyond, you know, obviously the two in Brooklyn recently and things like that. And, I think there's some momentum and enthusiasm about your coach and your program and the kind of television you provide, and that all counts in the bowl. And I would say that if they keep winning, um, and you're going to have a chance. I mean, let's be honest. You, not only do you have a game Friday night that I think you're going to win, but you're going to have a hell of a chance a, a week from Saturday in the Bronx. I think that's a tremendous environment and a tremendous opportunity you know, for the program to make a national statement. And you know, win the game and everything changes. But even even in a competitive environment against Notre Dame, I think it really does do something for the program, and it will do something for your postseason destination as well. One of the really unique things about that Notre Dame game, and there's another game before it, but you can see it being written. If Syracuse somehow jumps up and beats Notre Dame in mm. that game, Notre Dame electing to move that game from South Bend yeah. You know, I understand why they play these Shamrock Series games to promote the brand of their program, and they are a national program and have a national alumni and fan base. But to move that game to a place where Syracuse has a lot of history and a huge alumni base and has played more recently and all of those things uh, has a chance to backfire. Uh, I guess we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But that's the stage. I'm going to get into it later on the show here, Wes. But, you know, the fans are all, well, gee, it should be a primetime game. It's the biggest game of the weekend. It doesn't It doesn't work that way. You know, it's a 2.30 NBC thing. But everybody notices when Notre Dame's involved. So I think there'll be plenty of exposure on that day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, again, you're going to have a wonderful opportunity. If, uh, you know, you can overcome the jerseys Notre Dame's going to wear. I think you're going to be fine. <laughs> Are you, are, you know your boy John Sterling was at the uh, Syracuse NC State game at home, and uh, he says he's going to be at the uh, the Notre Dame game as well, so I can't wait for that. I'd, I'd be incredibly disappointed if he weren't out of that. If I was what? <laughs> yeah, I'd be incredibly disappointed if he wasn't at the game. That's right. You, you and me both. So uh, <laughs> looking forward to uh, more Yankee Stadium uh, history. Syracuse playing there fairly recently in the uh, the pinstripe bowl so uh good stuff there all right Wes. uh elsewhere around the league you know syracuse plays louisville this weekend on a friday night and boy they just weren't competitive against clemson i understand clemson's extraordinary but they went to every effort to work in different people and they had something like 16 different ball carriers in the game and 
and uh, Louisville was just outclassed. It's kind of hard to fathom that they've uh, that there's that big of a talent gap. Yeah, I've seen Louisville twice live, and it's it's hard. I mean, defensively, they're just. They don't have any continuity and any consistency at all, Matt. And it's a bunch of young kids in most cases. They do have a couple veteran guys. But they lost Grenard in the opener against Alabama, who was their best player in my opinion. They've had you know, injuries by the, the boatload all year long. And, and to be honest with you, that's only compounded uh, the inefficiency they've had at quarterback, whether it's Pass or Cunningham. Uh, they just really, really struggled. They've got two pros, Becton and McNeil, at tackle. Uh, but beyond that, I, I, you know, the wide receivers are really good, but the quarterback can't get them the ball. And um, they, I will tell you, there are a couple kids to keep an eye on. They're both freshmen. Tutu Atwell is kind of a slot guy who makes some plays. He's, you know, just barely big enough to keep his seat down at the movies, in my mind. But um, the other kid is this Hassan Hall, who's a running back from Atlanta. Uh, he's got some real, real skill and had a huge kickoff return the other day at Clemson. Uh, and I think you're going to see Bobby Petrino now just to unlock this thing and, and go young because, quite frankly, that's what he's going to have to do. I mean, they're they're not going to go to a bowl. Uh, they may not win a league game, to be honest with you. I don't expect them to win. In fact, I texted Jason Benetti, who's doing the game on TV there Friday night, and said, you know, good luck. It might be 70. Because Syracuse, when they get rolling, and we saw it on Saturday in a couple different sequences, the orange can overwhelm you. And... I would like to think that Friday night with a with the national audience looking on that the the dome will be lit up a little bit, especially with basketball starting this week and people I know excited about that. And there's a real opportunity to to maybe see this thing get the switch flipped and remember two years ago Lamar Jackson jumped over one of your guys. Now maybe this year you might be jumping over them, you know. Yeah, I like where you're thinking there. Maybe uh, find a way to, to turn that around and and uh Coach Babers was asked today, how does he keep his team's mind on the Louisville game and not skipping ahead to Notre Dame? He said, it's easy. I put up the results of the last couple of years, the amount of yards Absolutely. they put up, and and that's has a humbling effect. You know, Lamar Jackson's not there, but Lamar Jackson humbled a lot of people, and that has to yep. get your attention when you haven't beaten somebody. Heck, Syracuse hadn't beaten Wake Forest the last couple of times out. So it right. hadn't beaten yeah. NC State in the last four. Uh, so it's a bunch of those uh, types of milestones, and you, you've seen it before. You know, obviously, he's the longtime radio voice of, of Georgia Tech, but you followed the league and, and college football in general for so long. These are all little mileposts, right? You have to mm-hmm. uh, have some sort of success before you can sustain it. Absolutely, and I'm excited right now about Syracuse. I, I think Syracuse is one of the three or four teams in this league that is done a lot of really, really good work. I think you got two third-year guys, Mendenhall at Virginia and Dino, obviously, at Syracuse that have done really, really nice jobs. Combine that with Narduzzi and Adazio and Dave Dorn. That's why a lot of people like myself are pretty excited about the future of ACC football, and I think it's going to be reflected tomorrow night when the new CFP rankings come out. Yeah, Clemson's going to be high, but you know everybody other than Virginia won last week, and I think Pittsburgh's going to make it into the poll, and it's it's going to be interesting to see the climb of the ACC in November, I think, because this league could really have uh, some interesting discussions you know, here in a couple of weeks if, if they continue to perform well, especially the teams that are ranked in that 25. Well, I was just going to say that, and we did say that before you came on, with Syracuse being number 13, it pretty much ensures that they're going to be ranked all the way through the regular season to where the bowl bids are divvied out, you know, mm. barring – uh, slipping up this week against Louisville, they're not going to move you too far down by even if you do lose to rank Notre Dame and Boston College teams, uh, both of those out of your home building. 
uh, those are understandable. So that's kind of the the range you're in, and it's uh, fun. It's something we haven't uh, done around here in a long time, thinking about what potential bowl destinations could be or what the opponents could be. So uh, good stuff there. Lastly, uh, as you mentioned, Hoops is starting up, and I guarantee you nobody, nobody, everyone's anticipating this basketball season. Not, there's not one person around here that had Syracuse being ranked higher in football than in basketball on opening day of the basketball season. <laughs> but that's the case. It's 13 versus 16. Yeah. Well, uh, Mark Packer's already on record on our SiriusXM show as saying that, you know, he likes the Orange to win the regular season in the ACC. I like them in the top four. Uh, I think this league is going to be incredible, to be honest with you. I think it's going to be lights out. There are uh, there are four really, really good teams, Matt, and there may be as many as 10 teams looking at postseason opportunities in my mind. And, I'm excited to get going, excited to kind of see how it unfolds here in the first couple of weeks and then, you know, kind of reset as we get to the end of December and start conference play. Awesome stuff as always, my friend. I know you got to run. We appreciate the time, and uh, we'll check in again, all right? All right, take care. See That's you later. West Durham, he's the best voice of the ACC, in essence, on uh, ACC Network and uh, does a lot of really good work covering the league football and basketball and has this all jacked up for possibilities that are to come. Okay, when, do you have something there? Yeah, I was to, just looking uh, at the ACC football standings. The yes. top four teams in the Atlantic have not lost a home game this year. That's pretty impressive. <sighs> yeah. Well, Syracuse is looking for an unbeaten home season. That's what's on the line Friday. You can see the efforts being made really by the players and coaches right now. Come on out. Support the seniors. Uh, it's $20 tickets. Eric Dungey saying, hey, how about one more time? Kylan Whitner just responded to a tweet that I had out about something else saying, hey, come on out one more time in the Dome. And then uh, what Babers did announce uh, prior to uh, his press conference today was to say, you know, they're kind of creating a thing of this senior walk that they did last year where he sort of has them kind of reflectively go back out onto the field once the season has ended. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait, the other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care Floyd Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather announced yesterday that he will be fighting an undefeated Japanese kickboxer on New Year's Eve in Japan uh, this upcoming year. But they aren't sure which rules they're going to fight this match. They're not sure if it's going to be boxing, kickboxing, or maybe even MMA in, in, in this fight. Any interest in, in watching this? Trying to think what I would have less interest in. If they allow <laughs> kicking, I will be very interested in watching. Floyd Other Mayweather than... is fighting an undefeated Japanese kickboxer on New Year's Eve in Japan. Don't know the rules yet. Um, no, Floyd Mayweather. May- just I just have no time for Floyd Mayweather in my life. The only thing I can think of that he's doing this is because he wants to become an international name. He wants to become an international brand. Whatever. He wants money. Huh. Yeah, I mean, he's got plenty. Never have enough. He'll be the first to tell you. Can never spend it up. Do you think this is him preparing for Habib and McGregor again? I got, who knows? I don't care. He's going to get his head kicked in if they allow kicking. I would think so. Isn't it true that, you know, most of these guys, I mean, obviously he's the best boxer in the world, but that's different than, yeah, I mean, if you get, if you're in against a kickboxer who's used to that, and I'm sure this kickboxer couldn't, actually box without kicking anywhere near you know Floyd Mayweather would kill him sure. in that case um, I think a lot of these MMA, MMA guys aren't as strong in any one discipline as whoever the best is at, at that thing but yeah I mean Mayweather's playing with fire here but 
Let's go back to your last question. Any interest? No. Fair enough. Uh, UMBC is putting up a banner commemorating their their win over Virginia in the NCAA tournament. Is this a little too much? One win well, and they're putting up the banner. I think what happens it. is um, everybody wants their little something that distinguishes them or shows their level of success. Everybody has the same techniques when it comes to recruiting and attention getting and whatever. In theory, every school puts up a win, you know, puts up a banner for their wins. You know, it's it maybe it's a little bit different. Like if you look going to Mellow Center, every time Syracuse has made the tournament, men or women is commemorated with the banner. It's a different color or different looking banner if it's second round, Sweet 16, Elite Eight, Final Four, etc. So you can't really fault them for doing it. I don't think it's a banner that says, hey, we beat Virginia on one day. It's going to say second round participant or something like that, I, I would think, is what, what they're kind of claiming. But it also is historic. UMBC is in this big vat of dozens of other nameless schools that you can't think of any reason why you'd go to UMBC over Loyola, over American U, over any of these other ones. So if they can find a way that says, hey, at least you know we're in a one-bid league, we made the tournament, we won a game, it uh, sets them apart from their uh, competition in recruiting. So I, I don't mind it. The banner isn't egregious or anything. It just says 2018 tournament, second round, and right. then it's got the score... Number yes. six, I think it's perfectly fine. Yeah. Everybody puts up a banner for making the tournament. I, I would, yep, I'm totally fine with uh, with what they did there. Now, we did get talking in the press box the other day about University of Central Florida, who's undefeated again this year, and they put, you know, in permanent signage on their stadium that they won a national championship last year. I think that's going a little far. If you yeah. want to make T-shirts and bumper stickers and stuff and claim – you won a national championship last year. Um, that's fine, but to put it on your stadium is maybe a little more formal than I think they uh, than warranted. UMBC also had their first midnight madness this year, so they they're getting more exposure. They're getting more people wanting to go see them. So I guess with this banner and that win, it's obviously attracting a lot more students and just fans, really. In, in that case, so I guess it does make make some sense to really want to have that up in the in the in the rafters. Um, and finally, sports books lost between seven to ten million dollars yesterday. Uh, Jay Rude, a twenty-five-year Las Vegas bookmaker, said it was it's in his top ten for worst Sundays that he's been working there. Yeah, I'm not exactly certain why. Um, you know, what were the big the big flips or the big losses? Certainly, no. You know, I don't feel sorry for uh, Las Vegas in any way, but. Uh, they're going to have bad days statistically somewhere along the line. I think they're still going to be able to keep the buffets going and the buildings and the fountains and the, the whole deal. But uh, it looked like they had a bunch of results that didn't go their way. And, what, and, uh, what was the spread on the, the Chiefs? Steelers? I don't. The Chiefs game was the big game where they lost a bunch of money on. It was an eight-point spread at Chiefs-Browns, and the Chiefs ended up winning by, I think it was 16-37-21 was the final. That was the big game. 88% of the money was on the Chiefs. The Bears were only right. nine for you. Well, point that's the problem. That's, the that, that probably gives you an idea that the line is set wrong. I mean, the whole point of having the line is to entice equal amount of betting on both sides. So they pay the winners with the losers. They keep the, the juice, and uh, and that's how they build those nice buildings out there. But, you know, they're going to take it on the chin once in a while. We don't ever report the days they win 7 and $10 million, yeah, sure, yeah. which are, are sure are plenty of those, too. I mean, the Steelers-Ravens usually are a tight, less than a score apart. I mean, it's usually a three-point game, and it, it was – 
pretty good spread last night. I I was shocked that the Bears Bills game was not a major cause of this too because that was a nine point spread and with Peterman at quarterback. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> the Steelers Ravens game was in Baltimore, so I, I, the Baltimore might have even been favored in that game, honestly, because mm-hmm. it is always a close game, like you said. So you usually give the home field home field might have been the favorite in that game, and obviously the Steelers won by seven or eight points. Do you want to? Oh, I was going to ask. Oh, Tom. go ahead. All right, this came. Yeah, I, I could see. What, go ahead. This came up. Uh, this is a very good. Do we care question? This came up in the booth during commercial break. Not like we were working or anything in the game uh, the other day. Best national chain pizza, Tommy. What would you? I guess Domino's because there's not really many oh, around here. Domino's no. or Pizza Hut are the only two. Pizza Hut, I is Pizza Hut over Domino's. Oh yeah. Well, first of all, your whole premise of saying. What's available around here? Around here, you don't have to eat those chains. Sure, but that's all I've eaten, so I don't that's, have anything else to go off. That's what I was going to say with kids. You don't. But what I'm saying is, like yesterday, I ordered pizza at home from a. I wouldn't call it a chain. I would say it's a locally family-owned pizza establishment that has several locations, mm-hmm. primarily on the west side. Okay, so they Twin Arbors, I think, is the name. <laughs> the, uh, but the. Uh, so I had that's excellent pizza. I'll put that up against uh, anybody. But no, around here there's a little neighborhoody or family place, and I think Cam's sponsors here and some other things. You don't need to go to the major national chains here. But the topic did come up. I think if you are in a pinch and you're going Domino's, Pizza Hut, Papa John's, Little Caesars, etc., um, I don't think Domino's is the winner. Where are you going? Uh, if I had to go with one of any of those, it would be Papa John's. Do you like that garlic sauce that they, yes. they put? Yeah, I do. I do I mean, pizza more hut garlic stuff and butter. crust any day yeah. of the week. All right. Well, I'm trying to find out. To each their own. That's why they make all these different places. You can you can choose. Trying to find. Do you eat the pepperoni that comes? Yes. with No. Pizza? No. No. I don't like that stuff. I would eat it. Uh, That's a drop. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a Domino's on Teal Ave. There's one here. right up. Well, there's here, one up by the university. Yeah. 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 I mean, and that's one I think students order from most yes. of the time because I don't think they know any better and there's another <laughs> uh, I would say local-ish chain that's there that is far superior but students don't really know about it because it's kind of tucked away and it's not right on a, they don't have an app or whatever it is is easily available to, to students not to mention you know varsity I don't mind giving them a little free plug here that's kind of a, a institution wouldn't say they have the best pizza on the planet but it's uh, a fun place to go and they'll take care of you and Everything else, but that's uh, Domino's Little Caesars. Some. I get why five ninety nine college kids eat. Yes, you're eating. You're eating good. And the the hour of day that they're ordered. Yeah, and that yeah. it's delivered. That's a big thing with Domino's. They're open till three. And the devil's right. lettuce will make you crazy. Right, it. right. And in uh, in my day, we ordered a lot of Domino's. One because we didn't know any better, and two, they had this deal where they would match uh, whatever ad you claim to present from anybody else so you could call up oh we got an ad from uh you know <laughs> you have to show yeah, proof right well sometimes you have to prove it but you know all you need is somebody to make some bogus ad on the computer sure. or something that's yeah it's a uh, large pizza 3.99 you get a lot of time if you're making photoshopping it. <laughs> an ad to save three bucks on the, yeah. the domino's pizza anyway that's what the, they would do and then you could pretty much name your price and get whatever, whatever the heck you wanted to do or some else somebody else would say five typing pizza for 8.99 so then you'd call up and say, "That's what we want as a fight," and they would they would bring it. So uh, that's the deal, and uh, you're going all right if your biggest worry is about where to get your next pie. So that's all good stuff. Pizza is good. Back after this in the booth on ESPN Radio. 
This is In the Booth with Matt Park. All right, only a minute left in the show, so I'm not going to make a big deal about it here, but enough already with the game time of the Notre Dame game on the 17th. It's not changing. It's at Yankee Stadium. It's on NBC. It's been locked in for months. NBC does one television game a week. They're not moving it. They're not flipping Dateline. End of story. I, I, I hope that's not a big slight to people. I'm sorry. Uh, to me, what, if you're just a fan... Oh, I did the poll. I forgot about that. forgot to tell everybody. Uh, part of my uh, reason of, giving, of doing the Twitter poll, and I have it about to expire here as the uh, show is expiring, was um, I'm a little curious as to do people care more if they're going to the game or if they're watching it as a television show. And it came back to about, of the respondents in the poll, about 60% are just watching it on TV. So in that case, wouldn't 2.30 be great? So of the, I gave these choices. I'm going, leave it at 2.30. I'm going, make it 7. I'm watching, leave it. Or I'm watching, move it. And of those, we had over 200 votes. The leading response is, I'm watching, leave it at 2.30. I think that'd be a great time for that. Next would be, I'm watching and move it to prime time. Okay, make an evening of it. I, I get it. I just don't understand why it's so important. When you're playing Notre Dame, nationally televised, everybody's going to notice. You're not losing anything in terms of prestige or recruiting value, et cetera. It'll be exciting no matter what. It's going to be a big day. Got to take care of business on Friday for that game to be as relevant as everybody hopes. All right, back tomorrow at 2, everybody. Just something really quick. Yes, this is very I thought the important. show was over. Hit, sorry, I'm, I'm okay. the boss. I okay. can make things go long. Oh, boy. I have created a poll for the next 24 hours for this show for the best national pizza chain with Pizza Hut, Papa John's, Domino's, Little Caesars. Any uh, Anybody else you can think of? No. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Officially good luck. tweeted. Good luck, guys. Other things I don't care about. <laughs> I get good local pizza. Darn it. Back tomorrow, everybody. Sorry.